The message you're about to listen to is a recording from God's favorite house. It is our prayer that you listen, your life will be transformed, and you will be taken to greater heights in your walk with Jesus. Amen. God bless you as you listen to this message. Today, we will continue in our series, Did Jesus Really Say That? Um, like three Four weeks ago, we started this series, and I explained that reading the Bible, many times, particularly when I first gave my life to Jesus, I come across expressions, statements made by Jesus that boggled my mind, and I'm like, did Jesus really, really say that? And, and we started unpacking these teachings from um, part one, and in part one, we looked at Jesus' statement um, that says, do not resist an evil person. So in part one, we looked at do not resist an evil person, and we explained what Jesus meant meant by that. In part two, we looked at follow me. Jesus saying, follow me and let the dead bury the dead. Last week, in part three, um, we looked at the words you say will acquit or condemn you. And today, by the grace of God, we will be looking at eat my flesh and drink my blood. Jesus saying, eat my flesh and drink my blood. That is a very troubling statement. I mean, particularly if you put yourself in the situation that the Jews found themselves. Our text is John chapter 6 from verse 51. John six fifty one. And we're going to read through to 55. The word of God says in John 6, 51, it says, Jesus speaking here. It says, I am the living bread that came down from heaven. Anyone who eats this bread will live forever. And this bread, which I will offer so the world may live, is, is what? It's my flesh. Then the people began arguing with each other about what he meant. How can this man give us his flesh to eat, they asked. So Jesus said again, I tell you the truth, unless you eat the flesh of the Son of Man and drink his blood, you cannot have eternal life within you. But anyone who eats my flesh and drinks my blood has eternal life. And I will raise that person at the last day. For my flesh is true food. It's it's food indeed. And my blood is is true drink. My blood is drink indeed. I mean, if you try and immerse yourself into the situation, Jesus has just finished feeding 5,000 men, not counting women and children. So about 15,000 people have just been fed by Jesus. Now, the day before. Now, when it was dark, Jesus said to his disciples, you can go with the boat. And he went to pray. And by the time he finished praying, they went to the last boat. Jesus just simply walked on water. 
and, and went to meet and went to meet them. He, he was walking on water. And the following day, this 15,000 plus people came looking for Jesus. And they said, we need to find this Jesus. The bread that we ate, we've never ate bread like that before in our life. In fact, we are going to make him king. Jesus for president. Jesus for president. 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 And they were campaigning for Jesus in the Bible. Read it. They, were, they wanted to make Jesus king. Now, they couldn't find Jesus on that side. They learned that the guy walked on water to the other side. So they, some of them took both. Some of them stretched to Capernaum and they cornered Jesus and, and his disciples and they said, we will make you our king. Your bread is the sweetest on earth. We will make you our king, Jesus. And Jesus scandalized them as it were. Jesus didn't make it easy for them. Jesus said to them, you want to make me king, you will eat my flesh and you will drink my blood. Now, 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 these are Jews. They just don't even eat anything. They are they don't eat all the, all the meats that are available. Some meat they categorize, they categorize as clean. God told them. Some meat are unclean. They, they are very, very, I mean, meticulous in what they eat and how they eat and washing of hands and all that. And here comes someone saying, you will eat my flesh. You will drink my blood. In fact, he says, you must eat my flesh. And you must Drink my blood. So, Jesus was telling them, if you don't drink my blood, you will not have life. Imagine. You come to church. Not doing with this church, I'm sure. <laughs> and the pastor caught himself. I said, you have to eat my flesh. And drink my, what would you do? You will run. I mean, so it's easy to read these scriptures and think, oh, these people don't have faith. No, 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 no. It was a very troubling scenario. Jesus, they were saying, Jesus, this is full-time cultism that you want to introduce us to, Jesus. Jesus, you want to make us cannibals. This is cannibalism. And you, you want us to drink your blood. It's not only cannibalism, it's vampirism. You want us to be blood suckers and, and flesh eaters. You know, no way, Jesus. No way. In verse 41, the scripture says in verse 41, it says, then the people began to murmur in disagreement. Because he said, I am the bread that came down from heaven. They said, isn't this Jesus, the son of Joseph? We know his father and mother. How can he say, I came down from heaven? Now, greatness resides in you. There's greatness in you. There's divinity in you. And there's a part of you that, that the, some people around you will struggle with. Some people around you will look at you and say, uh-uh, is that not Yinka? 
went to primary school together. I know his brothers. I know his father. I know his mother. In fact, he always comes second to the last. Promotion on trial. So you, you, you will have people that will want to and insist on making you ordinary. When God has said, you are extra ordinary. So you have people that we want to say, is that not Joseph? His, his father is with us. His mother is with us. His brothers are with us. How can he say he came down from heaven? Guess what? What did Jesus do? Did Jesus begin to engage them and say, hey, you know, it was, it was the Holy Ghost that overshadowed my mother? No, 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 no. It, it didn't even bother. So how do you respond to people that keep looking at you with disdain? How do you respond to them? Do what Jesus did. Ignore them. Just ignore them. So there are people that will never accept your divine destiny. They will always insist on commonizing you. Ignore them. Because here are people that accepted his humanity. They accepted his humanity. They, they, they said they, they, they knew his father. They knew his mother. They knew his brothers. In fact, they were willing to call him rabbi. Just a few minutes before then, they were willing to make him king. They, they accepted his humanity, but they rejected his divinity. There are people today that will say, oh, Jesus is just a prophet. Oh, he's not God. He's just a prophet. And let's respect him. But we cannot, he can't say he's God. It's a big lie. Jesus is God. Jesus is God. So they say, oh, you know what? Um, how can he be God? When did God have a wife? <laughs> I smile. I like He made the world and he came to himself, to, to, to his own, rather. He became flesh himself. So we have to examine ourselves, even ourselves as believers. How have we accepted his humanity and rejected his divinity? How have we accepted Jesus' humanity and divinity. The people around us, ask yourself, how have I accepted this person's humanity and rejected their divinity? There's a part of them that is supernatural that God wants you to accept. But you're saying, ah, is it not you? Your, your, your husband is there. The guy is anointed, but he snores like a rabbit. At night. <laughs> so he comes and he says, Thus says the Lord. He says, you, you just, I beg you, everybody's prophesying. You two want to prophesy. Are you not the one that was sleeping and saliva was coming out of your mouth? Am I not the one that cleaned it up? Now, we, we need to ask ourselves, who are the people in our lives that we are commonizing, even though God has said these people are extraordinary? Don't commonize what God calls extraordinary. That was their challenge. And you see, when Jesus said, you will eat my flesh, you will drink my blood, it was difficult for the people. In fact, in verse 60, the word of God says that many of the disciples said, this is very hard. Everyone say very hard. <laughs> it's very hard to understand. How can anyone accept it? 
How can anyone accept it? Now, before, now I explained that Jesus had just fed, uh, the day before, I just fed about 15,000 people. Now, these 15,000 people, you can imagine, they would have called their friends and neighbors. Maybe we are looking at 20,000 people now, looking at Jesus, and 20,000 people in, if you will, Jesus' congregation. And Jesus said these words. Hard words. Verse 66. (laughs) Don't panic. He says, at that point, many of his disciples turned away and deserted him. In fact, if you, if you read all the, um, um, the, the parts that we left out, all of them left except the 12. Imagine you have a congregation. Let's say you're a pastor. You have a congregation of 20-something thousand people. You preached one sermon. And the next Sunday, there are 12 people. <laughs> what, would you, what would you think? You will think, what did I say wrong? Did I pray? Maybe I need to fast more. You know, it's amazing how the things that bother Jesus are not the things that bother us. And the things that bother us don't even bother Jesus at all. Jesus was totally unbothered. It was on the top. It was like, okay, they've gone. In fact, if you, if you came and you saw out of, you have 20 something thousand people in the congregation, you are the pastor, and, and you preach one sermon, and the sermon was so powerful, it blew away 20,000 people. <laughs> and you have 12 people in your, in your congregation. How would you treat the 12? You treat them with care, right? You will pamper them. You say, can I get you guys lunch today? <laughs> and all that. Do you know what Jesus did? Jesus looked at the twelve and said, are you guys not going to? That was what he did. He says, why are you guys still here? Are you, are you not going? And it's amazing how he responds to issues. He says, are you still here? And if you go to verse 68, you know, the, the word of God says that Simon Peter replied and said to Jesus, Lord, to whom would we go? To whom would, would we go? You have the words of eternal life. Simon Peter was saying, we have nowhere to go. You see, there will come a time in your life and in your work with God when the road will be hard. There will come a time when you, you will look at the situation and you, and you will say to your God that God, this is hard, like these guys did. This is hard. This is a hard place, Lord. But you have a choice. You, are you going to respond like the 20-something thousand that departed and deserted? Or are you going to respond like the 12 that says, where would we go? What will your response be? The Bible says many turned their back and deserted. Many turned their back and deserted. You know, the, the interesting thing is that even in church, we have people that are in church, but they have deserted Christ. 
They're in church, but they are not following Jesus. They, are in ch- they come to church maybe once a week, maybe, maybe three times a month. Maybe, maybe they even come eight times a month. Maybe they come for tribe, but they come to church. But they are not following Jesus. Why? Because they've got into a place and they've made things that are hard. Hard to understand. Hard to grapple with. Hard to swallow. And they deserted. If you are a deserter here, I'm praying that you will come back to Jesus in the mighty name of Jesus. They deserted. They deserted. Why? Because faith will be tried. There is no faith. Faith is not faith. It's not tried. Faith will be tried. Sometimes with fire. You heard the um, Holy Ghost fire, Holy Ghost baptism, and it's different from baptism by fire. Faith will be tried with fire. And when faith is tried with fire, many times people give up. People, give, people stop believing. People stop pressing. People stop holding on to God. And start doing their own things. But God is saying to you, where faith meets the hard road, you need to come higher. When faith, faith never fails, but when faith is tried with fire and it's about to fail, you need to step up. So pastor, what is the higher level than faith? When faith is tried, what is the higher level? The higher level than faith is trust. Faith is on one level. Trust is on a higher level. When you've been having faith in God and your faith is about to faint, that's why you need to know God for yourself. You need to trust God. Why? Because faith is based on what God can do. Faith is based on what he can do. You, I, God said it. I believe it. That is faith. That settles it. I'm going to engage. I'm going to, I'm going to work on that. I'm going to, that is faith. Faith is based on what God can do. Trust, on the other hand, is based on who God is. Faith is based on what he can do. Trust is based on who he is. On who he is. So you get to a point when, you, when you're saying, I, it's tough, my faith is being stretched, but I know whom I have believed. I know that all things work together for good. I'm going through the fire. It's hard, pastor. I'm in a hard place. But I believe. That's what Job found himself in that place. And he says, I know my redeemer. Leave it. There comes a time where your knowledge of his person can only sustain you. Which is why coming to church we're going to do NCR, go through the journey, the whole thing, the whole experience, so that you will find God yourself. Why? Because when the robber meets the road, it is the God you know that will sustain you. Not the God your pastor knows. 
not the God your father knows, not the God your grandfather knows. It's the God you know. And they that know their God, they shall be strong and they shall do exploits. So Peter found himself in this situation. God. And Jesus said to him, are you guys still here? You know, many, many of us would be upset. You should be happy. We are the only ones that are left in your church, Jesus. And you are still talking to us like that. In fact, if you don't take your time, we will leave this place. Some people think like that. They think they, they are doing God a favor. Peter said, very instructive. He said, to whom would we go? You have the words of life. What Peter was saying is that we, we have burnt our bridges. We've burnt our bridges. We have nowhere else to go. You see, the challenge with us is that when we come to Jesus, we, we don't burn our bridges. We keep some back door open. That in case Jesus fails, ah, we have to be smart to. Ah. You see, that is the challenge. If you have a plan B, faith that is not absolute is impotent. If faith is not absolute, it's important. But when faith is absolute, result is inevitable. Inevitable. The challenge is that we have faith, but it's not absolute. We have plan B. We have plan C. So, you are following God. You have plan B. The same thing. If you, if, if you enter a marriage with a plan B, the marriage will never work. There's, there's a, a, a story of a, a lady that's a real life story that got married to a guy and the lady's mother, because she's had bad experiences with men, said to her, look, as he's giving you money, be giving me. In fact, the one he has not given you, he has not given you, be stealing it. I will be building house for you. You know how men are. Hmm? You know how men are. They just see one small girl and they just start following so that you will have your own house. That was year one of their marriage. Guess what? Where your treasure is, then your heart will be also. So if you are building a house outside of your husband, eventually the marriage will crumble. That's how it works. You can thank me later. The point is this. Peter said, we have burnt our bridges. We have no other option. I want to challenge you today. Burn your bridges in your work with God. Make sure you have no other option, no escape route. Then you will see God in action. The reason you are not seeing God is because God is saying, uh, he's not ready yet. Why? Because he has plan B, he has plan C, he has plan D. Peter said, we have burnt our bridges. 
The bridge, you don't burn. We take you back from following Christ. That's how it is. The bridge, you don't burn. We take you back from following Christ. Burn your bridges. Say to your neighbor, burn your bridges. Burn your bridges. In verse 25, the word of God says that they found him on the other side of the lake and they asked, Rabbi, when did you get here? We've been looking for you everywhere. And Jesus replied, I tell you the truth. You want to be with me because I fed you, not because you understood the miraculous sign. No, Jesus was just a sharpshooter. doesn't take prisoners. They came to him and they said, oh, you know, we have been looking for you everywhere. You know, where have you been? You know, and all that. They said, you are looking for me because of the parfum you ate. You know what parfum is? Parfum is bread. Because I gave you bread. That is why you are coming. Ask your neighbor, why are you here? And we, we, we have to learn from Jesus because Jesus always knew why people came to him. He always knew why people came to him. Question, do you know, the people in your life, do you know why they are there? Do you know why the people in your life, why they are there? Do you know why they are there? You need to know. Ask God, he will tell you. So people are there in your life because they are called to be there. God actually called them and connected them with you. So people are there in your life because of what they can get from you. So people are there in your life because you make them laugh. You make them happy. The day you run out of jokes. <laughs> they look for the next clown. So people are in your life because they pity you. They have the, the they pitied you or they, they, they have pity on you. That's why they're in your life. Oh, let's help him. Oh, let's help her. You see, the problem with that is that by the time God begins to lift you up and you don't need their handouts anymore, they begin to have an attitude. So, yeah, yeah, the man always wants to be giving you coins. 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 And God is, you don't need these coins anymore. We have, have an attitude. Why? Because giving you coins made you <clears throat> so why are you here why are you here there are two main reasons why people seek Jesus and everybody in this place there are two main reasons why people are here today number one people are here we seek Jesus to get physical things so people see Jesus number one to get physical things or to understand spiritual things As you left your house, as you were dressing up, as you are coming to church, there's something that you wanted. What is it? Oh, I'm going to see a fine girl today. Maybe I can get married. Oh, you know, I heard gospel house have great guys. Their pastor teaches their men well. Maybe I can fish one guy. Is that why you're here? For some, oh, that church, thank God for God's presence in that place. Every time I go, there's always a breakthrough. 
that's why you are here. And the reasons can go on and on and on and on. So you say, Pastor, you know, is that bad? Is that really bad? No, it's not that it's bad. Can't I have the two? Yes, you can have the two. But the point is, the priority should be understanding spiritual things. Because if that is your priority, you will get, normal, you will get the other one. But if the other one is your priority, you won't get the spiritual things. When you seek for the kingdom of God and his righteousness, then all the other things will be added unto you. But when you seek the other things, you become like the Gentiles. You don't get the kingdom. Does that make sense? So, let's put it another way. You, you could say the, the two categories are be those that want to take from him and those that want to be like him. I want us to come to church wanting to be like Jesus. Knowing that when we, be, when we are like him and we are in his presence, we know that in his presence there is what? Fullness of joy and at his right hands are what? Pleasures forever. So it comes with a package. But when you are seeking to take from him, even if you get, you don't get him. Oh, let's put it another way. It could be to some, some are here to eat bread and some are here to eat his flesh. Some are here to eat ordinary bread. Some are here to eat the flesh of Jesus. I want to, I want to consume everything that God has for me. So why are you here? Ask your neighbor again. Why are you here? Eating is powerful. Eating and drinking is, is very powerful. Eating, eating and drinking has to do with shared life. We, we eat and drink with people we share our lives with. We eat and drink with people we share our lives with. So when, when you share your life with your family, you, I hope you guys eat together. Husband and wife and children, you do. Good, fantastic. You should eat together. So when you eat together, you share your life together. You're able to talk on the table. You're able to share your life together. So be careful who you eat with. And when you share your life together, and, and you see, when, you know, my wife and I, we eat together, you know, and in the office, you know, many times we, we eat together, you know, because we do life together, you know, and all that and all that. <clears throat> Praise the name of the Lord. So when, when we, we want to eat together, maybe in the day, my wife calls me and says, oh, what do you want? So there's usually um, an array of things to choose from. So she says, what do you want? And my answer has been the same. For the past 13 years. Every time my wife asks me what do you want, my answer has always been anything you have. As long as she cooks it, it's delicious. <laughs> now, I mean, ask her. Sometimes she's frustrated. She's like, just tell me. What do you want? I have this. I have that. I say, anything. Because that's how I am. Anything really. I mean, I'm not really, I enjoy good food. You know, sometimes I say, hey, so this food exists, you know, but that's it. I don't go around craving food. Sometimes I think food is an interruption. There's too much to be done. Praise the Lord. You know, like I said, the second worship experience, that 
Not all men are like that. They don't say, ah, he say, did you hear pastor? Let me give you anything. No, that's not what I'm saying. <laughs> that's not what I am saying. And also, at the office, when we want to eat together, you know, sometimes the person, I mean, usually find out, she comes and says, oh, what do you want? There's this, this restaurant has this in the menu. You want this, you want that, you want this, and that. And people will be choosing, okay, from the menu, and they, they place their order, and da 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 And, and, and we, we do life together, we share life together, we eat together. And when we come to the Lord's table, we are eating together. But you see, Jesus takes this to another level. Jesus is saying, this menu has only one item. The food part has only one item. My flesh. The drinks part has only one item. My blood. Make your order. (laughs) That's what Jesus is saying. Except you eat my flesh. You don't have life. It is because, you know why does it, why is it like that? It's because you are, you are what you eat. You are what you eat. There are certain food, they are brain food. They, they stimulate the brain. Certain food, they are, they are energy food. They give you energy. It's just like if you put water in your petrol tank, the car is not going to go far if it moves at all. They are certain food. They are, they are good for the skin. Your skin will just be glowing. They are certain. So you are what you eat. And Jesus is saying, I am. My flesh is meat indeed. And my blood is drink indeed. And when we come to the table, just like when we eat together as a family, we usually have discussions. We have three kinds of discussions based on perspectives or where we are looking at. So when we come to the table, when, when you're eating with your, with your spouse and you're on the table, you, you look back. You, you talk about the day we first met. You talk about the, the day we... Um, you know, you talk about the past. Don't use, don't think about it. I didn't say anything. And when we come to the table of the Lord, it's the same thing. We need to look backwards. He wants us to look backwards. First Corinthians 11, 24. He, he says, and he gave thanks. 24 and 25. He says, and he gave thanks to God for it. Then he broke it in pieces. And, and said, this is my body, which is given for you. Do this, what? In remembrance of me. Look backwards at the cross. Every time you come to the table, look backwards at the cross of Calvary. The same way he took the cup when he has, after supper, saying, this cup is the new Covenant between God and his people. An agreement confirmed by my blood. Do this to remember me as often as you drink it. So, he's saying when you come to the table, think, at, think at, about the cross of Calvary. Many of us have seen the movie, The Passion of the Christ. 
Think about how I was flogged. When you come to communion table, think about how I was lashed, how I was spat at, how I was ridiculed, how I was slapped. Think about how they drove the nails into my, my arms and I screamed. Think about how my blood dripped, mingled with water. Think about how I was lifted up right there in the middle of two thieves. How I cried, I'm thirsty. Until I cried, it is finished. Then I said, Father, unto your hands I commit my spirit. Think about the past. Survey the cross. When you look at the cross, where is the struggle? You are struggling. You think, I'm struggling, Pastor, I'm struggling from stealing. I'm struggling with sin. But take a look at the cross. The struggle vanishes. It vanishes. And that's what Jesus said, that when you come, take, look backwards. And, and, and when we come to, 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 to the table as a family, with the people we do life with, we don't only look backwards, we look inwards. We look inwards. So when we also come to the table of the Lord, we, we should look inwards. We should look inwards. In fact, the, it, it's scriptural. And the same scripture we read, 1 Corinthians 11, verse 28, it says, this is why you should, you should what? Examine yourself before eating the bread and drinking the cup. Look inwards. Now, I will say, I will say that. We are to examine ourselves not to determine if we are worthy to partake. No, 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 no. We are to examine ourselves to determine if we are partaking in a worthy manner. Huge difference. So, we are to examine ourselves not to determine if we are worthy because no one in himself can be worthy. We are to examine to determine if we are partaking in a worthy manner. Like the psalmist said in, in um, in Psalm 139 and expounded it. We see that no one merits the privilege of sitting at the lost table. No one. No one. So the psalmist said, Psalm 139, 23, 24, he says, search me, O God, and know my heart. Test me, I know my anxious thoughts. Point out anything in me that offends you and lead me along the path everlasting. When we come to the table with our friends, with our families, and particularly with the Lord, we should not only look backwards, we should look inwards. When we look backwards and inwards, then we need to look forward. At the table with your spouse, you discuss the school, children's school fees for the next semester. That's looking forward. You're discussing the, um, where you're going to build your tent house. <laughs> That's looking forward. Or rent, whatever. That's looking forward. And when we come to the table with the Lord, also, we need to look forward. Same First Corinthians 11. Popularly culminant scriptures. It says, For every time, how often? Every time you eat this bread and drink this cup, you are announcing 
the Lord's death until he comes. We need to live more consciously of the coming of the Lord. We need to, when we, when we come to the table, we need to think about rapture. When the coming of the, when the Lord comes, or, or if he tarries, when you show up before God. You know, for some people, that is a very dreadful thought. If Jesus comes now, some are like, ah, pastor, let him not come now. Let him come after service. I will have given my life then. Looking forward shapes our perspectives. It gives you peace in where a lot of people have turmoil. For instance, I mean, one thing I used to say to myself, way before I got married, even when I got married, you know, that has really helped me when I was single and, you know, all the stress, oh, marriage, marriage, marriage. I said to them, there's no marriage in heaven. There's no marriage in heaven. Did Jesus get married? Did Paul get married? So I said to them, leave me alone. There's no marriage in heaven. <laughs> Some people thought I wasn't even going to get married. But, but I just didn't want the pressure. It's not necessary. Similarly, when I got married, you know, at the early days of our marriage, it was very rocky, you know. And we used to fight a lot. We used to sit at the Marmarita, yeah. We used to worship at City of David. And many Sundays, my wife would cry from the Marmarita, yeah, all the way to City of David. When we get to the car park at City of David, clean your eyes. Then we do all the drama, then we come back, then the crying continues. <laughs> she used to cry a lot then. But she doesn't cry anymore. <laughs> In fact, I need to think very hard to remember the last time she tried. My wife cries. It's not because I beat her. So the uh, pastor used to be like, no, 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 no. I've never, I've never even raised my hand at her. I've never even given her body. <laughs> In 40, 13 years. You know what they call body? We are going to be 14 years married this December. Not once. And if you are married, you know that that is a big testimony. Man, am I, am I, am I not saying the truth? Uh-huh. <laughs> I say, because, look, women, we try you. Should I go there? <laughs> will, you think you're a Christian? Wait until you get married. That's when you will know whether you're a Christian or not. <laughs> they push you to the limit. When you think they are done, they're just changing gear. <laughs> Oh, I need to get back on track. How did I get here? There's no marriage in heaven. And similarly, you know, even with wealth, when we look forward, when it comes to wealth, it gives us perspective. It gives us perspective. Because, you know, if you know that you brought nothing into this world, and it is certain 
that you can take nothing outside, out of this world, it will set you free from, what, from the love of money. There's nothing you brought and there's nothing you will take. People, that they bury them with their gold and trinkets and, 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 and chains. What happens 24 hours after the burial? Thieves, burial thieves, grave thieves come, dig them up, remove the gold, throw the body on the, on the wayside. If, I, if, I know, if you don't want them to exhume the body and throw it out on the road, it's better not to bury them with it. We go with nothing. Burial suits don't have pockets. They don't have pockets. Check. Let's say you're lying in state. Check. There's no pocket there. Why? Because nobody's taking their wallet. If you say you want to go with your car keys, I put it in the pocket. When they're doing lying in state, somebody just go and remove it for you. Why? Because you can't go with it. So, when we look forward and say that one day everybody is going to stand before God, all the things that you are fighting for, they fall into their right places. Into their right places. So, as we take the Holy Communion, I want us to look back at the cross. I want us to look inwards and ask God to search us. And I want us to look forward at the coming of the Lord. Let's bow our hearts as we bow our heads. If you are here, you are saying, Pastor, I have no reference to the cross. If, I, if you say you look at the cross, there's no reference there. If I look inward, all I see is death and filth and guilt and shame. If I look forward to the coming of Jesus, my heart skips. If I see Jesus today or God calls me today, I can't face God. But you're saying, Pastor, I want this sorted out. I want to pray with you wherever you are seated. It doesn't matter who is sitting beside you. It could be your father, it could be your mother, it could be your auntie, it could be your husband, it could be your wife. It is relevant. This is between you and God. Pastor, I want to make peace with God. I want to be aligned with God. Pray with me. I don't need you to come forward. Wherever you are seated, I'll pray with you there. That is me. I need to know you are there. Put up that hand now over your head. Quickly. God bless you. God bless you. My sister at the back, God bless you. Over there. I see your hand over there, my brother. My brother over there, God bless you. My sister over here. My brother over here. God bless you. That's it. Keep the hands up. I'm, I'm taking this step. I'm, I'm getting my peace with God today. God bless you, sir. God bless you, my sister. Right in the middle. God bless you. I'm getting my peace with God today. No way. I'm not leaving this service being afraid of, of Jesus coming. That is me. Put up that hand. Put up that hand. And we're going to pray together. God bless you right there. God bless you right there. If you have the card, you can put down the hand. Keep the hands up. If you have the card, you can put down the hand and cry to God. God bless you. At the back. If I put up the hand, put up the hand well. Right there at the back. God bless you. That is me. The rest of us, let's talk to God. Let's, let's say to God, here I am before you, Lord. You've heard this word. Think. Here I am before you, God of heaven. If you have the card, why don't you talk to God? Anybody else? Pastor, pray with me. I want, I want to pray with me. Join these people. Put up that hand. I will pray together. If you are online, the instructions are scrolling. If you have the card, I want you to cry to God. Have mercy upon me. Cleanse me. Accept 
today. I, I, I release my life to Jesus today. I surrender my life to Jesus today. Oh, Father, we thank you. We pray for everyone who surrender to you today. We ask that you cleanse them and accept them. Honor and glory we give unto you. In Jesus' mighty name we are praying.